This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Nothing happens in a small town. So last episode, you know, we we had a little craziness <laughs> with the guy who comes over just to cut up a body. And, yeah. And, you know, later in this episode, we've got a little craziness that yeah, where you just kind of go, okay. Sure. Why did anybody think that was going to work? Right. Anyhow. Yeah. So, you <clears> know. <throat> Um, today's episode is a suggestion by Doris. Thank you, Doris. Thank you, Doris. We love you, Doris. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and, um, this is the story of Audrey Murray Hilly. Otherwise known as Alabama's, Alabama's Black, Black Widow. Widow. <laughs> and of course, in, in doing some research on this one, I ended up down a rabbit hole of Black Widows. There are some interesting stories out there so we'll see if we end up doing a couple of those we've been talking about them when i first got here it's like okay what about this person hello yes what in the world i i definitely think at least miss australian lady we might have to do an episode on her that's that one's a pretty extreme it really is really is (laughs) well and it's funny because listening to podcasts um for some reason australia seems to have some really crazy ones well maybe it's the outback i don't know it could be definitively small towns right yeah (laughs) yeah so I, i i definitely think we could easily do some of those and and yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So I've been talking to this lady in Australia uh, through work, and I've been highly entertained. I learned that cockatoos are, and I quote, butts. Oh. They're rude little jerks. Apparently, this woman has an, uh, an apricot tree in uh-huh. her backyard, and they will just sit in the apricot tree doing nothing until they see a human looking at them. And then it's like, oh, I've got your attention. <laughs> Let me take this apricot that I know you're waiting to eat and i will just strip all the flesh off of it the stuff you want to eat and i don't give a crap about and just throw it on the ground <laughs> and then start eating the stone inside and if you try to shush it away they will just like glare at you harder go up the tree just like a branch or two and then start peeling away the flesh even slower <laughs> wow <laughs> i was like wow drama much yeah <laughs> But the way she told it was, I was cracking up. That was definitely, I was crying, laughing at my desk at work. And I probably, if it had been earlier in the day, because with time differences, Mm -hmm. I'm sure people would have been checking in on me going, what is wrong with that woman? (laughs) Funny. (laughs) Uh, So, So. good old Audrey Marie. So she was born Audrey Marie Frazier, and uh, she was born June 4th, 1933. Her parents are Lucille and Huey Frazier. 
She was voted the prettiest girl in junior high at 14. My, my, my. Uh, She was described as demure, beautiful, and fashionable. Sweet. Sweet. And generous, which I don't know about that, but okay. (laughs) So outwardly facing. She, yeah, she looked the part. Now, was she? No. Well, we're we're going to find out. So she met Frank Hilly when he was 18 and Frank entered the Navy. Uh, They were married on May 8th, 1951. They settled in Anniston, Alabama. And that was kind of after Frank's military service. Right. He worked uh, in a local foundry shipping department. And Marie worked as a secretary. She was good at her job. She was meticulous. And they ended up having two children together, Mike and Carol. Uh, But they kind of had some money problems. Yeah, she liked to spend. Remember that whole being demure beautiful and fashionable that meant Mm -hmm. she wanted couture clothing so and she she definitely um wanted to present herself in a certain light so she didn't want to be considered like lower class or middle class she really wanted to be she wanted to rule the roost she was just one of those people that wanted to have everybody want to be her yes yes um, she was very social, very a big socialite in the community. You know, she she had parties. She was always a wonderful host. Well, because appearances are everything, exactly. right? Exactly. Um, but she had some weird things about her. Like she would sometimes spend hours staring at herself in the mirror. Okay. Yeah. That would weird me out just a wee bit. One. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just not much into... I look in the mirror to make sure my hair is brushed. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, kind of attesting to some of her vanity. Yeah. And I mean, makeup and stuff is fine. Everybody right. gets to make themselves feel great. But hours? Yeah. That's a little excessive. Well, and it sounds like she was not like primping. It was more of a just like a blank stare Stare. almost so that's a little creepy and that goes together with her wandering around aimlessly at night yes so kind of odd um and then in 1975 things really started going downhill when frank came home and found marie in bed with her boss Okie dokie then. Whoops. Yeah. Well, around that time too, Frank Frank got sick. Got sick. Yeah. Hmm. And Mike also got sick. Um, but the symptoms stopped when he went away to seminary school. Hmm. So um, Marie found Frank wandering the yard in his underwear. Um, de- definitely some odd symptoms. Um, Dr. Earl Jones on May 19th, 1975, diagnosed him with a stomach bug. As symptoms persisted, he went back to the doctor and they diagnosed him with infectious hepatitis. So Frank ended up passing away on May Six 25th. Six days later. Yeah. Yeah. Six days after originally going to see the doctor. Right. That's a pretty quick moving infectious hepatitis slash stomach bug, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. And the autopsy revealed hepatitis, swelling of the kidneys and lungs, bilateral pneumonia, and inflammation of the stomach, and duodena. 
So the official cause of death was hepatitis. Um, Murray ended up collecting $31,140 in insurance money from his death. And in she kind of went through that quickly. <laughs> no, say it isn't so. Right. So in 1977, she started acting weird. She started calling police, saying that people were following her, that they were coming to her house at night, that they were stealing things. Um, and they ended up putting a, a tracer on her phone. And, of course, the phone calls would somehow miraculously you know stop Uh and then as soon as they removed it it would start up again shocking yes and then um so police lieutenant carol was very familiar with murray at the time and you know he just kind of was like this just isn't adding up um then she started writing bad checks um which yeah, and I mean, good. we don't know how in debt they were necessarily at the time of her husband's passing, but that's essentially, she went through the equivalent of $150,000 in two years. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a pretty That's fast. a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money. <laughs> and after Frank died, she didn't sleep in bed. She always slept on the couch. Um, her daughter had said that she was kind of paranoid. Um Carol did wake several times to find her mother standing over her, which is very freaking weird. Um, And then between April 1979 and August 1979, Carol had many visits to the ER. Why did I put HR? Yeah, writing. Good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So she had similar symptoms to her father. And doctors and this is four years after her dad died. Right. And, you know, doctors examined her. They couldn't find anything wrong. Um, so in August 1979, Marie gave Carol an injection in the hip, claiming it would alleviate her nausea. Uh huh. Well, then she began experiencing numbness of fingers and weakness of the legs in addition to the nausea. And And then Marie gave her more frickin' injections Mm -hmm. because, well, let's fix this. Right. Told her not to tell anybody. Right. Don't tell anybody because Doris Ford, who's the RN who provided the injections, would get fired. Well, we're... She Doris lost the use never, of, yeah. <laughs> never no. gave her injections. No. Um, so, Car- yeah, Carol lost the use of her arms and legs, and she em- eventually ended up in a psychiatric ward. Which is where I have to interject and go, really? She had physical issues, and they put her in a psychiatric ward. Yep. There is a dirty little secret in healthcare, which I don't know how secret it really is. I think women are talking about this more, Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't get the attention it deserves. Female patients are continuously gaslighted about their physical and mental health, whether it's a heart disease labeled as anxiety or an autoimmune disorder attributed to depression or ovarian cysts chalked up to being normal period pain. Many women's health issues are likely to be misdiagnosed or dismissed by doctors as something less critical. 
One study published in the Academic Emergency Medicine found that uh, women who went to the ER with severe stomach pain had to wait almost 33% longer than men with the same symptoms. Wow. And it's, I mean, it's no accident that the word hysteria originates from the Greek word for uterus. Mm-hmm. Think hysterectomy if you were to get your uterus removed. There, It's still this pervasive belief in the medical community that anytime a woman complains about her health, it's either related to her hormones or all in her head. Female hysteria was once a common medical diagnosis for women. Mm-hmm. Seriously, your problem is the fact that you've got a uterus. Move on. (laughs) And it was applied whenever a woman displayed what was considered to be inappropriate emotions, such as anxiety, anger, or even sexual desire. For centuries, it was believed that the uterus itself was the cause of a woman's hysterical symptoms. You're like, uh, (laughs) my brain just can't with all this. Yeah. (laughs) Your diagnosis is woman. Move on. And unfortunately, these beliefs still hold true today. It still carries on. How often does a woman get angry only to be asked if she's about to get her period? Mm-hmm. You're like, really? How often does a perimenopausal woman go to her doctor's office to complain about physical maladies, weight gain only to be told it's not worth looking into or running tests because it's related to your hormones? Yep. Our hormones alone aren't making us anxious or upset or pissed off. These condescending attitudes are. And I mean, I personally went through a situation where um, I finally had enough. And I went when I went to the doctor with regard to the fact that I knew I had fibroids, I was having horrible, horrible Mm -hmm. amounts of pain and bleeding and all that other fun stuff. And I had been told the time I'd visited before that most women live just fine with fibroids. I challenge this opinion. Do we really, or are we just used to being accused of overreaction and we just deal with it? Yeah. Um, I had a fibroid the size of a coconut that was necrotizing. That means it was dying. And apparently, if you read through medical literature, that hurts a lot. It was the size of a freaking coconut, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's not to mention all the other ones that were hanging out in my uterus. We got rid of the offending organ, and oh my goodness, life is so much more grand. Mm -hmm. But still, I could have been sent to a mental institution because I I was overreacting about it. Because I'm sure, well, (laughs) I've, yeah, I've had numerous, similar, numerous experiences, but yeah. Yeah. So love it. Um, Marie ended up taking out a $25,000 insurance policy on Carol. Mm-hmm. The family started questioning poison and Carol, especially Mike. Mike was kind of like, this just doesn't sound right. So September 19th, 1979, Carol was admitted to the University of Alabama Hospital in Birmingham. That same day, Marie was arrested on check, um, check, check fraud. fraud charges and the doctors did suspect poisoning um carol ended up having 50 times the normal arsenic levels in her human hair that's five zero yes 50 uh so mike her brother was the one who reported it to authorities that he suspected she was being poisoned yeah i remember watching an uh, what was it 
sna- it was snapped or one of those one i can't those, remember living yeah. with the yeah but essentially i think he lived in atlanta at the time i believe so yeah yeah and he was just getting really concerned and about that time he was remembering his own illness right and he knew um there were a lot of different situations where his mom was talking about people trying to break in mm-hmm. and the phone calls and he was just like maybe she just has gotten creditors of the wrong type right because she liked i think she liked to gamble as well as buy fashionable clothes yes and the gambling might have been to try to earn more money because that always works right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so detailed tests on carol's hair conducted on october 3rd 1979 by john case of the alabama department of forensic sciences revealed arsenic levels ranging from over 100 times the normal level close to the scalp to zero times the normal level at the end of the hair shaft. So she was really trying at the end to kill her daughter. She was. That $25,000 insurance policy. Yeah. So this indicated to him that Carol had been giving increasingly larger doses of arsenic over a period of four to eight months. Yeah. And then they ended up exhuming Frank on October 3rd, 1979. Analysis revealed abnormally high levels of arsenic ranging from 10 times the normal level in hair samples to 100 times the normal level in toenail samples. That's a lot. It is a lot. Dr. Joseph Embry of the Alabama Department of Forensic Sciences concluded that the cause of Frank Hilly's death was acute arsenic poisoning. They also exhumed Marie's grandmother. Small traces of arsenic were found. Um, there were also other claims of poisoning. Uh, some friends, even the, the next, next door, door neighbor's neighbor, kids. Yeah, oh they they apparently got sick, and when they moved away, they were fine. It was never conclusively determined that yeah. she poisoned any of these other people, but, but for just, sure, Carol yeah. and Frank. So. Yeah, and while it was never determined for sure, um, her son, mm-hmm. Mike's like, yeah, mm-hmm. how, how else was I so sick? And then at seminary. Right. Immediately better. Yeah. So I did a quick search on family annihilators, because even though she only killed her husband, she did try to kill both her daughter and son right. at different times. 91% of family annihilators are men. As for the neighborhood kids, that returns nothing in a quick search. <laughs> Basically, I was going down a bunch of different little rabbit holes, and there were stats on killing neighborhood pets, and um, some articles about not feeding your neighbor kids junk food around Halloween, because you wouldn't put that in your body at a normal time. You're like, oh boy, not reading anymore here. And poisonous household product safety. So it's just like um, that, that little extra bit about the neighborhood kids. I mean, it's just not right something a rational normal person would be thought of to do it's like oh well you know had a little extra arsenic let's put it in the brownies yeah i don't know who knows well marie you know she's in jail for fraud and then they end up charging her with murder or and um she ended up making bail well murder and attempted murder on her daughter so she made bail uh, 14000 They were trying not to get her, you know, I guess some people in the community raised some money. And a lot of people were like, oh, well, she's, she's so, so nice. nice. 
how yeah. could she have done this? So she did have a lot of people fooled and, you know, because the, the other discussions came out later. Right. The things about friends going, wait, you know, I got sick a couple times. Yeah. That came out later. So she ended up, she was staying in a little hotel, motel room, um, awaiting trial. And all of a sudden, she just disappeared. I mean, they, they she was there one day, the next day she's gone. gone. Um, there was a weird note in her hotel room, and it said, Lane, you led me straight to her. You will hear from me. I don't even know. No. There was nothing. Who is this Lane person? It actually sent them down a bit of a wild goose chase. Right. They couldn't determine who this Lane person would be. I guess she was trying to maybe sort of say she was kidnapped. I, I'm thinking so. You know, I think she was trying to find any way out of this that she could find. Right. And yeah. P- pretending she was kidnapped, abducted mm-hmm. would be. Well, yeah. Irrationally so, in line with her. <laughs> they believe that um, she had taken a car from Sammy Key Jr. and his wife, Margaret they were relatives of hers and she left the car at a bus depot in Georgia. A note was found at the keys house. It said, your car is in Gadsden. Do not call the police. We'll burn you out. If we do, if you do, we found what we wanted. We won't bother you again. Again, another, another really, uh, we, yeah, we are, we kidnapped her. Note very strangely. Um, and then the same handwriting. Yeah, that was in the same handwriting mm-hmm. as the one at the end. You're just like, okay. Yeah. Probably her. Right. So I did a lot of looking into arsenic. <laughs> <laughs> so much so I'm probably on a watch list. No, just <laughs> <laughs> So arsenic is interesting. It's actually known as the poison of kings or the savior of syphilis. The toxic properties of arsenic were known by Hippocrates, who in 370 BC described abdominal colic of in a miner of metals like a person who was mining the metals and similar properties were described of mercury and arsenic by Theophrastus of Arabaeus in the 4th century BC and by Pliny the Elder in 1st century BC Pedanius Dio- oh geez this one's gonna kill my Dios I can do this. All these historical Greek names. Author of the historical Pharmacopoeia de Materia Medica and a Greek physician in the court of the Roman Emperor Nero described arsenic as a poison, which was used by Nero to poison his stepbrother Tiberius Britannicus in 55 and secure his position as the Roman Emperor. And random, I found out that BC is now, they're starting to call it BCE, mm. before the common era, and AD is now CE, common era. Um, I see them doing this because, you know, Christianity is not the sole focus of the whole world. So right. I was like, hmm. I might have to try to get used to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it is an arsenic is an odorless and tasteless, and it's got properties of inorganic arsenic compounds such as arsenic trioxide, white arsenic, made them an ideal poison. White arsenic was readily made by heating arsenic ore, and this produced a white crystalline powder that was soluble in water and virtually undetectable in food or drink. Some said it even improved the taste of wine. I think they said at one point in time, arsenic was used to dip the corks on wine bottles. Oh. So, I, yeah. 
but but small levels wouldn't okay, kill you right it, but it probably makes <laughs> and you it made the wine sick. a little well, maybe it makes it makes maybe. you think the wine tastes better <laughs> sorry okay. um and it was difficult uh poisoning by arsenic was difficult to detect as the symptoms initially mo- mimicked food poisoning mm-hmm. but a single dose could produce severe diarrhea vomiting paralysis and death lovely Awesome. Because of its potency, the ease with which it could be obtained, and the discreetness with which it could be administered, it was a favored poison of the ruling classes to kill off their rivals and adversaries, so it became known as the Poison of King or the King of Poisons. In Renaissance Europe, the art of poisoning became came to its fore in contracts to poison one's noisome neighbor. This is the only time I can think of neighbors getting killed. Became a social norm. The poisoner made appointments and had set prices, and the client named the victim, and a contract was made, and the poisoner was paid when the job was done. A family of professional poisoners from the late 15th century were the Borgia family. Pope oh. Alexander the the fourth, his son Caesar, and Caesar's half sister Lucrece were a well-known poisoner and then there was another well-known poisoner in the mid-17th century an Italian lady named Giulia Tofana who made cosmetics containing arsenic Hmm. aqua Tofana and gave the tainted cosmetics with appropriate instructions on how to apply them to the intended victim Hmm. Tofana and her daughter Girolama were executed in Rome in 1659 for their complicity in the poisoning death of several hundred men. Wow. Wow. And to go along those lines of men, many others took up this occupation throughout late Renaissance Europe, and there was a spate of young, wealthy, married women suddenly becoming young, wealthy, eligible widows. (laughs) In 17th century France, white arsenic became known as powder de succession, or inheritance powder. (laughs) From the 18th century, the incidence of poisoning waned as methods of post-mortem detections were developed in 1836. Uh, James Marsh, an English chemist, developed a successful chemical test for arsenic poisoning, modified later by Johns Jacob Berzelius, a Swedish chemist, to be known as the Marsh Berzelius Test. In the 19th century, women applied arsenic powder to whiten their faces as well to their hair and scalp to destroy vermin. It was also thought that arsenic consumption by women gave, gave beauty and freshness to the skin, an appearance of poor rejuvenesce, um, basically beauty and freshness to the skin and appearance. Um, so taking Fowler's solution, a potassium arsenite solution um, in 1786 as a treatment for various chronic disorders was popular with Victorian prostitutes to give them the rosy cheeks an effect due to the damage of the capillaries of the skin. It has continued to be used in cosmetics well into the early 20th century, and this is a common source of accidental poisoning. Yeah, so you, yeah, I'm just still going. Um, (laughs) You would take arsenic in purpose. Take arsenic to to look more beautiful, even though it's killing you. And Eh, eh, eh. yeah, Yeah, and actually, I think that's uh, arsenic and lead um, were found in things like lipstick, Hmm. like up until, I mean, probably when we started playing with cosmetics. Yeah. Strange that it would still be allowed because they... 
oh, it's such a small dose and it's not getting into your bloodstream. I'm sorry. Your skin absorbs things. Right. Dummies. So a woman named Robbie Hannon suddenly appears in Florida. She started dating a man named John Homan. And in 1980, Marie Hilly was added to the FBI Most Wanted list. So, Robbie and John married in 1981 and moved to New Hampshire. Marlowe, New Hampshire area had long been a haven for fugitives, primarily because it's quiet Quiet and and rural. rural. Back to the small town piece. Robbie took a job in Keene, Vermont at Central Screw Company. One day, Robbie said that she had to go to the doctors alone. She claimed to have a rare blood disease. Uh-huh. And she decided to go to <laughs> Dallas, Texas to visit her twin sister. Uh-huh. Shortly after <laughs> that, John got a call from Terry Martin, Robbie's twin sister. She said that Robbie died in Texas and her body was donated to science. So... Likely story. Uh, Terry drove to New Hampshire to comfort the grieving widow. She was in Pompano Beach. In Pompano Beach during this time, and there was no indication that she was actually in Texas at all. At all. Homan was fine with the situation, but friends started to question it, especially coworkers. Yeah, because they were like, wait, twin? Mm -hmm. I don't know about this. Right. But again, you're talking like a tiny little town of 700 people. And she did appear different. She came, she was thinner. She had blonde hair. Yeah, she changed her basic style. Yes. And, um, but yeah, there were things that she seemed to know about people before. That she couldn't have known. Well, it's like that whole thing. If you see somebody, how hard would it be to try to keep straight in your head the things I'm supposed to know or not supposed to know about somebody um, that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get across in conversation? Because, yes, sisters would talk. Right. But would you know by looking at somebody that this is Jack? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So police found no record of Robbie Hannon or Terry Martin. Uh, basically, what had happened was these coworkers and friends went, something's fishy here, and they reported it to authorities. Authorities started looking into this person, especially looking at the obituary, and they're like, uh, this person doesn't exist. Um, so police ended up finding Terry Martin and arresting her in Vermont, where she was working as a secretary. Um, she no. easily confessed to the fact that she was Marie Hilly. Right. And I thought it was really funny. I think they did a, they did a whole like, um, SWAT thing. They, they, she ordered a pizza and they yes. had a, a pizza guy swap out for like an FBI agent or something. Right. It was very, um, cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they took her back to Aniston and she went through trial. Less than three hours for a jury to convict her guilty of murder of her husband and attempted murder of her daughter. Imagine that. I know. So she was sentenced to life in prison. In 1987, she was given a weekend furlough. Why would you do that? I, I, 
she'd already this, fled once. Well, and this kind of... So, <laughs> it sounds like this was not her first furlough either. No. It's like she apparently had them on a regular basis. Who gives that to somebody with life in prison? I have no... This is completely... That makes, this makes no sense yeah, to me. I don't get this part. Um, and then john homan happened to still be seeing her yeah and he was like, coming okay, to visit her so he he went through <laughs> he, he he got married to this woman she pr- fakes her death sends her twin, twin sister, sister <laughs> to g- g- comfort him has a relationship with him as a totally different person. Which is not weird at all. And then he finds out that she murdered her husband and tried, tried to, to kill, kill her, her daughter, daughter. And he's still, still seeing her. <laughs> I he mean, had actually signed her out. for. He was her sponsor for this yes. particular furlough. And had probably sponsored the majority of all the other of, ones. I believe so. I think it was yeah. all of them. I think it was all of them. So he still he was just so in love with her that he didn't mind all these weird very crazy, out there. Yeah. It, I I don't I understand. Don't, yeah, I don't know. Well, she disappeared and she got lost. Yeah. <laughs> so a bedraggled old woman dying of exposure was found on a front porch of somebody. And they took her to the hospital hospital. where she died and they figured out it was marie hilly um she died of hypothermia her knees were badly bruised and they believed she had been crawling crawling around through the woods and and they say it's a weird coincidence but i wonder if it isn't (laughs) i just well this was actually my observation because i was kind of like okay this was kind of interesting i found oh I was thinking of who she ended up on the the porch of. It was actually oh. a girl who knew her from grade school. Yeah. I think she just was, because she was, like, delirious, she picked a house that looked familiar to her. Oh, yeah. Well, and so I was reading um, her son's marriage um, announcement, and I thought it was kind of interesting that her, her daughter-in-law's name was Terry, and Terry's best friend's name was Bobby. So that's and probably where she like, came up with right. her alias. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And then um, her son, son said that he wasn't surprised that she stayed close to home. Um, and she kind of suspected she would be hiding right under their noses. Um, people were a little surprised that she didn't have a bit better, better plan. plan considering because, the other plans she yeah, put I mean, together. She was pretty elaborate in her Or con somebody into helping her. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess she didn't have her husband quite, or whatever you want to call the most recent man. (laughs) John. John. (laughs) Um, Um, But yeah. and He thought he was, she was innocent. Right. The other weird thing is she wasn't that far away from parole. I mean, she would have been paroled in 1991. So she died in 1987. She only had four more years. And if she was allowed to go on all these little little excursions, weekend, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was really weird. I I really wow. Yeah. Um, Just wow. Yeah, there so, was a movie about this uh, starring Judith Light and David Ogden. Yeah. Wife, mother, murderer. <laughs> I love the naming. I know. Uh, so back to arsenic. 
sorry. I, I just find it um, interesting, mm-hmm. uh, the ways people decide to kill people. So arsenic may seem like a poison from the past. You know, we already talked about, geez, BCE um, and its uh, famous mystery writer, Agatha Christie's favorite way to kill a character. Um, it is actually, as I sort of mentioned before, it's a naturally occurring, occurring chemical element. Problematically, it shows up in groundwater, sometimes from uh, um, people die of natural causes um, because of groundwater. And it's in, it can end up in groundwater um, na- naturally, but also due to human activities such as mining or using pesticides. An estimated 300 million people worldwide are at risk for arsenic poisoning from their water supply, including 2.1 million Americans in 25 U.S. states. Mm. Now, that's not to say they're going to have enough arsenic in there to kill somebody, but it's Mm. something that's modernered when you go through water supplies. But people on well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Besides its natural form, the substance is not widely available in purchase products anymore because of the whole ordeal with arsenic trioxide and primary arsenic metal have not been produced in the United States since 1985 due to poisonings. Um, Arsenic is a chemical element uh, with a symbol AS and the atomic number 33. So it tends to be combined with minerals. That's why it's found in mining, usually in combination with sulfur. Um, It's also a pure chemical uh, element crystal. It's metalloid. It has various allotropes, but only the gray form, which is a metallic appearance, is important to industry. Arsenic and its compounds are used in the production of pesticides, treated wood products, herbicides, and insecticides. Those applications are declining with the increasing recognition of the toxicity of arsenic and its compounds. You may remember like from the, somewhere in the mid nineties, they started freaking out about wood in children's playgrounds. Mm. It had to do with the treated lumber. Hmm. Um, I don't know if we're using anything besides sides arsenic now but it's like a big deal if you try to do a home garden raised beds don't use natural lumber that can deal with um, water intrusion such as um, cypress and cedar but don't use treated lumber if you do don't eat the vegetables out of it mm. a few species of bacteria are able to use arsenic compounds as respiratory metabolites trace quantities of arsenic are essential dietary elements in rats hamsters, goats, chickens, and presumably other species. So arsenic in its natural form is going to be found in your body. Mm-hmm. It's just those high levels that you have to watch out for. Um, the EPA um, states that all forms of arsenic are a serious risk to human health. You just can't get away from it necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the United States Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease uh, Registry ranked arsenic as number one in its 2001 priority list of hazardous substance at Superfund sites. Arsenic is classified as a type A carcinogen, so produces cancer. Yay! (laughs) But its toxicity to insects, bacteria, and fungi led to its use as a wood preservative. In the 30s is when they started using, um, treating wood with chromated copper arsenate, uh, also known as CCA or tantalith. And for decades, it was used um, the most extensive industrial use of arsenic. 
Um, an increased appreciation for the toxicity of the arsenic led to the ban in consumer products in 2004, initiated by the European Union and the United States. However, it still is in heavy use in other countries, such as in Malaysian rubber plantations. It's also used for various agricultural and pesticides, insecticides, and poisonings. Um, essentially, as of now, it's been phased out by 2013 in all agricultural activities except cotton farming. Hmm. Guess those bull weevils, they can't find something else to kill them. Hmm. So it's a feed additive in poultry and swine production, in particular in the U.S., to in- increase weight gain, impro- improve feed efficiency, and prevent disease. Okay. <laughs> You're like, do I really want to eat that chicken? Or the pig? I like bacon. I I love bacon. Yeah. Ah, But anyhow, so just FYI. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As of now, it seems that they're uh, really down to primarily using them in turkeys. Mm. So Thanksgiving brought to you by arsenic. Yay. (laughs) Ah. So organic arsenic compounds are less toxic than pure arsenic, and it's used to promote the growth of chickens. And you're just like, great. I love it. Yeah. So it's actually found in abundance in the Earth's crust in small quantities of rock, soil, water, and air. It's present in so many different minerals, as I said before. Most, almost a third of the arsenic in the atmosphere comes from natural sources, such as volcanoes. The rest come from man-made sources. Hmm. Um, let's see. I, I did a lot of looking into arsenic. It's mm-hmm. no longer used in weed, weed killers except for the um, cotton use. Severe poisonings from KO, uh, can, can I say this? Kacodilic acid caused headache, dizziness, vomiting, per, profuse and watery diarrhea, followed by dehydration, gradual fall in blood pressure, stupor, convulsions, general paralysis, and possible risk of death within three to 14 days. Yikey shnikes. Lovely. So, um, Mm. but this is actually typically found via inhalation of airborne arsenic or contaminated drinking water. Um, Today, acute organic arsenical poisonings are usually accidental. Um, It's like something that's got arsenic, like wood and what have you, burning. Mm. Seems to be the number one way that people get accidentally poisoned. Fun. Yeah. Okay. All you ever wanted to know about arsenic. Yeah. It's still out there all the time. Lovely. Thinking about my chicken and pork consumption. <laughs> that just, yeah. That's, Put uh, it in the feed to make sure the chickens eat. See right. what now? So Frank Alfred Hilly was born 7-17-1929 to Clarence and Carrie Hilly. That would be the, the first hubby who yes. died. Yeah, M- Miss sorry, Melissa. I'm we didn't transition that, that well. Yeah. Melissa likes talking about the, the victims. Yes. So he served in the Navy during the Korean War. He worked at the Union Foundry Company. He was the best man in his son's wedding. No. I know. That's so cute. I love that. Um, He died May 25th, 1975. He was 45 years old at the time of death. He was buried in Anniston, Alabama. And the one thing I do remember from uh, whatever show on it I watched was that he like had a really special relationship with Carol yeah and 
they were very close and I couldn't find a lot about him other I you know I think he was kind of a quiet man and I think I remember from the one that I watched that uh they they did delve into whether or not she was just really really jealous of that yeah special connection I think she may have been um she definitely wanted Marie liked attention. She wanted the attention on her. So the fact that Frank and Carol had a special relationship, I think definitely, unfortunately. And I think I remember, um, so again, because this is just trying to look at what we could find in written format versus, because we've talked about this before, that sometimes they talk, they get very wrapped around the axle about certain things that to us were like, that's not even the most important thing. Right. I really think this whole delving into what she did and why she thought she was going to be able to throw people off by being a twin sister. <laughs> and I I wonder, see, this is where I, I went into some long thought and tried to look into some more about, did she just really like this guy and she was really scared mm-hmm. that she would start trying to kill him off if she stayed under her current because she was bored? Yeah. Well, it could have been she got bored. It could have been she was, I, I don't know if, I don't know. I mean, it seems like she definitely had some mental issues. Right. I mean, the whole staring at the mirror thing. For hours on end. That is really kind of creepy. And the randomly walking around in the middle of the night. Yeah. So what was going on in her head? And and the fact that she was able to poison her husband, poison her daughter. Poison her son. Yeah. And... I mean, we, we've talked in the past about, um, what's the term? Um, you know, the, the people who, who like to kill or make other people sick. Oh, you mean like, um, the, uh, yeah. Sorry, my, my brain is not working apparently because I can't. So hurt them, but bring them back to life. Yeah, yeah. You're talking like, um, Munchausen. Munchausen's, yes. Munchausen by proxy. Munchausen by proxy, yeah. So we're like, I'm kind of wondering, did she have some Munchausen's? Was it something like that? But she never seemed to do anything to John that we know of. So, but we don't know. Did he just know either? Yeah. Because he just seemed to say, oh, she never did anything like that. She never did anything like that to me. Right. Was he just so smitten? He didn't see it. It could be. And And as far as I could tell, when she went on her little vacation, not to Texas. Right. Um, (laughs) she had every intention of returning Mm -hmm. because so did she feel she was it was just too boring but she needed him because he was ready to you know basically put up with whatever she put up <laughs> it, it it could be i mean yeah maybe she needed that excitement to keep things know, fresh maybe i don't know i seriously don't know where somebody would be able to um i mean i guess you want to believe what you want to believe but how do you believe Oh, yeah, I didn't think it was her. It had to be her twin, and Mm -hmm. I was okay with this. Right. I don't know. If Sean suddenly, if my husband suddenly had a twin brother, or like his brother came to console me, that's just weird to me. It is weird. It is very weird. They're in brother territory. Yes. Not lover territory. Right. (laughs) No. (laughs) And so you do have to wonder, did he deep down no no it was her the whole time did he just let her do what she wanted to do 
Yeah. And like her coworkers, they were seriously weirded right. out by her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's kind of a, yeah, you really have to wonder what was going on, really yeah. going on. Because, I mean, like, did she actually go to Florida? Is that really where she was? Pompano Beach? Yeah. Well, she said she was in Texas, but right. they say she was actually in Pompano Beach. Well, it's a little, the stuff I read, it's a little, like, she said she was in Florida, but... They didn't really have. They didn't really find a lot of evidence as to where exactly she was, where she was, and what was she doing in that time. I mean, because obviously she doesn't have a twin sister, no. you know, and she, <laughs> you know she wasn't visiting family that we know of. So what, you know? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure Carol would go? say something if her mom oh, showed yeah. up. <laughs> oh yeah. So I mean, it is really kind of what where was she what was she doing we'll never know because she's she died she's she's dead so yeah unless there was something else that the the police were able to get out of her that they just didn't put into any of the uh and that could be yeah i mean that happens a lot or right well like the one episode where we have nothing yeah oh my gosh although we might (laughs) i'm hoping she reaches out again but um yeah we might be have something coming on that one Mm. but we'll see um yeah please reach out (laughs) please yeah we have a couple other that we don't have great conclusions for that we're hoping right that just talking about them will be one more step maybe somebody it'll reach somebody Mm -hmm. who has a little more data and they reach out to their local police and help Mm -hmm. close these cases yeah that would be awesome so this one's essentially closed yeah yeah i guess i could have gone into a little more i usually go into this rapid fire bizarreness about this the town but i mean at 700 people and they really don't talk much Mm -hmm. the new hampshire town was pretty much a bust yeah there wasn't a lot to go on there well that's why people go there go there to hide i mean (laughs) it is a known place for people to hide yeah so of course they don't want to talk (laughs) Anyhow, Anyhow. (laughs) we're not sisters, but we just act like one on TV. Yeah. (laughs) All righty. I think we've uh, hemmed and hawed enough for this episode. So, as always, thank Thank you you. for listening to Nothing Happens in a Small Town, where things do happen, and small towns are not the quiet, quaint places you think they are. Yeah, they like hide people and stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, you can always visit um, our Patreon page if you want to support us at www.patreon.com slash nothing, nothing happens, happens in a small town. town Instagram username profile nothing, nothing happens, happens in a small town. town our Twitter username profile nothing, nothing happens in a small town and H-I-A-S-T Facebook page is Nothing, Nothing Happens, Happens in a Small Town at N-H-I-A-S-T 2021. 2021. And you can email us with your suggestions or comments or whatever you like. Or updates. Updates, yes. Um, Nothing Happens, Happens in, in a Small, small town, town at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, y'all. Thank you. Thank you.